The decision hasn't come lightly. I mean, I have, for the sort of last 10 years, wanted this. Worth every shot with Yaz. I kind of did hope that in my 30s I might meet somebody, but it hasn't worked out that way for me. Firstly, I just want to thank you if you have been following my podcast and my journey, which does continue after a failed transfer last month, onwards and upwards. Not quite ready to give up just yet. I will be bringing you a bit more from my vlog in due course, but today I want to introduce you to my guest. Please welcome to Worth Every Shot, writer and journalist Kat Brown. How are you? Oh, really well, thank you. It was so lovely to speak to you. And uh, speaking to a human rather than just my dog, as it's been a freelance curse for all of today. Well... Thank you so much for joining me today, Kat. Uh, my friend actually sent me a message about your book called No One Talks About This Stuff. And, and before you sort of talk us through how the book all started, tell us what is it about? Well, it's sort of this thing whereby I'm hoping that the title becomes redundant, like by the time that we're actually on the shelves. Um, because it's it's my sort of, ex- it's inspired by partly my experience of going through infertility as a middle-class girl who went to school in the 90s around the time of having it all and, you know, ladettes and women. Oh, who needs feminism? Because we're all totally equal and stuff, yeah? Uh, uh, And and realising the older I got and as I got into my 20s and 30s and started thinking about, like, having a family of of my own, uh, that that was just categorically not the case. Um, Not just inequalities in terms of, childcare in terms of responsibilities and careers that obviously we're really seeing come to a head at the moment in the UK Um, and of course God with Roe v Wade being overturned in the States but but also in terms of um, the the sort of dim stuff that I'd heard about fertility at school was don't have children now because you'll ruin your life and then nothing until the Daily Mail articles about if you have have a child over 35 you can't because your fertility has gone over the cliff and sort of just mumbling along in between trying to make it work. So when it turned out that I couldn't have kids, um, quite apart from all the ambiguity that I'd felt about it anyway, just through my upbringing and the messages and the social conditioning, um, I was just like, oh, crap. Uh, like I normally turn to a book in this instance. What book is there? Um, and most of the books that I found were either, here's a science book about IVF or... Here's a book about my experience as a white blonde woman with a cover photo of me staring sadly out to sea about how I, you know, had some fertility challenges and it was very sad, but everything was fine because I ended up with a child. Yeah. And sort of not really much other than that. So partly for my own sanity and partly um, to try and do something useful, I decided to put together this anthology of stories of people's experiences as the very different intersectional experiences of infertility um, and yeah just sort of trying to sort of do my bit to sort of add to the infertility bookshelf if you like. Well you know you mentioned about it being at school in the 90s it, you know kind of you're speaking my language I think we're probably round about the same age I'm going to hazard a guess round about the same age and uh, yeah there was nothing like no not even a mention of a biological clock. <laughs> no absolutely nothing it was sort of I mean, it must have been mortifying for parents because also one thing that I do remember is obviously that Section 28 was very much still in force then. And so as well as not really teaching or being allowed to teach pupils as humans, um, whether it was about homosexuality or or anything, Mm -hmm. um, we weren't really 
allowed to become sort of burgeoning young adults. Uh, everything was very much about just not telling us really anything of mm-hmm. use at all. Um, I mean, God, I remember P- PSE classes and us practicing putting condoms on like polystyrene penises. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's just all mortifying, nothing useful at all. And I mean, to be fair, like, I didn't need to know about my biological clock back then because I was still trying to figure out what a freaking tampon was. But <laughs> I, just, I think it was just overwhelmingly the messaging that I certainly took home was that, you know, if you become a teenage mother, then you may as well have just set yourself on fire. Or if you, you know, have a child before X, Y, or Z, or... And, and there was no mention about having a child if you were if you were like gay or lesbian or anything like that because it was just assumed that none of that was going to happen, um, nor of adoption nor of anything else. It was just very, you know, bread and butter nonsense. Uh, yeah. As yeah. much stuff was still in the nineties, like no mental health provisions, and certainly no conversation about exactly how many days a month you can get pregnant, uh, which, spoiler, turned out to be not very many at it, all. Well, exa- it? that's it. Yeah, you, you, you know, you were kind of led to believe that it could just happen at the drop of a hat. You know, it was really easy. And uh, you don't realise this little, really small window, you know? Yeah, absolutely tiny. And I certainly spent so much of my teens and 20s genuinely terrified about yeah. the idea mm-hmm. of getting pregnant. Yeah. And and I don't mean sort of like casually frightened. I mean it was it was up there with my sort of anxious fears about the house catching fire and me not being able to rescue my family. I really did genuinely believe if I got pregnant, my life would be absolutely over. Um, and I mean, it's interesting to think that I don't know in, in twenty years, forty years time, maybe some scientific development will come up that will show that perhaps there was something that I was doing or that we were doing, whether through the pill or, I don't know, they'll turn out to be some kind of random chemical that only exists in, I don't know, walls or wallpaper or something that isn't asbestos. But it, it, just that, that absolute weird book ending of spending so much time worrying about getting pregnant and then spending so much time going, oh, bloody hell, I'm not getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the irony is oh, ridiculous. Oh no, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. So, how much? I mean, how much would your own book have actually helped you in the past? Because, like you say, there, there was really nothing. Like even up until, I mean, this book it, it's, it's new. I mean, there's not, nothing really before it that that has helped people. Well, I think part of the problem is is that all the infertility stuff. And to a certain extent, childlessness stuff is littered around between either nonfiction or parenting in bookshelves, in bookshops, which is just, you know, when when you're going through something really difficult, whether it's any kind of grief or just, I say, or just, or, you you know, you're not in a very good place mm-hmm. mentally, um, you're absolutely all over the place. And so to then have to go and deal with the insane, arcane categorizations of foils at Waterloo Station or something. It's just mad. Um, and no, when I was going through it, I ended up resorting to sending a tweet about it, um, much to my mother's horror, because she's very much of the generation that thinks that you could be burgled if somebody follows you yeah. on Twitter or mm-hmm. Facebook or something. Um, but I honestly felt as though I had nowhere else to go, like no recourse. I had no idea of helplines I could call. Everything... Um, seemed to me as somebody who had only, in inverted commas, 
um, gone through failed IVF with results I'd never heard of in anybody before. Like I, I couldn't even have embryos made. It failed that much. Like all my eggs were immature. And I was just like, this isn't, I can't, there's nothing on Google about this. You know, what do I do? The Instagram hashtag is only about like eatable eggs. Um, and so it was just, I just needed to ask somebody about it. Um, and I just really hope that if I had had like this book at the time, um, my aim for it, and one of the ways I describe it, is it being like a support group in a book. Um, it's not necessarily prescriptive, um, but I've also been in uh, recovery for the last few years, and I've found that going to a meeting and listening to the similarities and not the differences in somebody's story is incredibly comforting, even if you have literally nothing in common with that person at all, because so much about pain is feelings. Mm-hmm. And and my God, I just felt so many bloody feelings, not just through the time after all the IVF failed or the following year in lockdown when another consultant said that I'd never, you know, I'd never had kids, or all the years before that trying to conceive. And you know, all you can think about every month is, oh well, that's that then. And then you know, just like being on the worst, worst kind of treadmill. And so just desperately looking for somebody who could understand that and not necessarily offer me any solutions because I don't think there are really any. You're in absolutely intense pain. Unfortunately, as with so many things, the only way out is through. Um, But really just to show that I wasn't making it up and that this outrageous, white-hot grief pain I was feeling was not just real but it was allowed that's it I mean giving it some sort of floor space and like you say I think you know you, you were saying about the whole support thing I think that's it for me it's, it's finding other people that are feeling the same way you feel because it's, I mean my friends have been fantastic my, you know my mum's been really good she's been there for me through my journey but nobody really understands the way you feel unless they're going through something similar or, or they're going through exactly the same thing that's exactly it. And actually, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this book and to have lots and lots of different stories is because whilst I had experience of, you know, failed IVF, blah, 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 you know, childlessness, not by choice, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I have been a useless friend when it comes to pals who've had miscarriages or children who are sick or other things because um, I, I've just been like, oh, God, what do I do? Mm. Um, sometimes it's almost easier when it's somebody that you don't know well, because you can, I don't know, is it a distance thing? Is it something like that? Um, But without having the pressure of, I need to do this perfectly because this is X, Y, and Z friend, you know, I've known them for so long and I want to show them how much they mean to me and, and I want to be able to be supportive. So actually part of me putting this book together is to, for me just to sort of sit back and listen to other people about how they felt what was valid and what was useful. Um, And one of the things that's been useful to me, and I apologise for her, if you can hear her scrunching in the background and I'll wave her out into the garden if not, is is my dog Um, and and my cat. Um, But at the same time, as useful and as comforting and as healing as they have been, I do still carry those layers of shame from all of the stereotypes about, you know, uh, 
crazy cat ladies or fur babies or those awful stories in the press sometimes, which even the best of us can fall prey to about, you know, women replacing children with animals and how selfish they are and that sort of oh. thing. And it's like, no, there are, there are other reasons for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very much about not just, I suppose, finding different levels of empathy when you might be an empathetic person, but also be like, oh, bloody hell, this is so outside of my experience. And I do want to help, but I don't just want to do the thing of going, how are you feeling today? Because what do you say after that? How do you show up for your friends? Yeah. And how do you show up for your family? And, and also, if, if you're the person going through it, how does this grenade go off in your life without obliterating the people that you love as well? Well, I mean, it's so good that you, you, I'm good on you for actually getting the whole thing off the ground. And uh, uh, quite a lot of people were involved in this book in, in a way, wasn't it? Because it was, uh, it was crowdfunded. Yes. It's, um, I think if I hadn't been so driven about the book, I think I'd have given up after about a month because bloody hell. I mean, I ran the marathon once and <laughs> getting, you know, people to sponsor you for essentially a fun running race yeah. um, is similarly no. But I think, I don't know whether it's necessarily the same as doing like a sponsored run when people do have an element of schadenfreude, especially if you promise to tweet your way around it. I don't <laughs> think there's schadenfreude here, but I think... We ended up with nearly 800 people pledging to support the book. Wow. Uh, as opposed to sponsor the book. Um, and I didn't look through the names of people for months. Um, it took about five months to raise the full 20 grand that we needed. Um, and I didn't look for ages because I was worried about who I would or, or wouldn't see there in support. And, and then one day when I was feeling a bit rubbish, I looked and it was... So moving, not because it was like every person I've ever met in my life, which is a, a bit of a sponsored running race, but because I didn't recognize so, so many of the names on there. But these were people that had shown up for this book anyway, because whether they had lived experiences, infertility or miscarriage or baby loss or, or, you know, not finding a partner and so not having the opportunity to pursue uh, trying to conceive. Oh God, there's got to be a better way of putting that too. It was, they believed in this book and they believed that this book was necessary and needed and also that it could come into the world and be like a good looking, not like wholly miserable, not totally good for you and filled with fibre and cardboard type of book. <laughs> yeah. um, but it would be one that would sit proudly in a, you know, bloody fantastic display at Daunt or Waterstones or or your local indie bookshop and be like, yeah, I'm here and I'm taking up space with this, you know, unsexy subject because, you know, fuck it. It's no life, yeah, yeah. People go through it. It's and such it's a big part of life, yeah, massive, massive. I mean, I'm only finding this out more, more and more. You know, while going on the journey, and you know, I've been very open about my journey, and I'm having people that I, you know, I had no idea. A lot of the people that I know. I was, you know, acquaintances coming to me saying, oh, I'm, I'm having trouble as well, or, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I had no idea. So it's, it's, and good on you for, I mean, nobody talks about this stuff. It's a perfect name for it, but I was quite grateful even when, you know, Jennifer Aniston spoke out about her own journey. Yeah, incredibly. And I mean, I think, ironically, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this book was because it felt as though the only people that I was reading about going through it were celebrities who had 
been through something awful, but again, had still emerged with a child at the end. Um, Because I think there is that element of shame, not just in, I don't necessarily mean shame as in like, oh, my body doesn't work. I do think as a society, we are getting better about acknowledging that not everybody is freaking Wonder Woman Mm 24-7. But I think it's the shame about, you know, letting down the narrative. Like, you know, going through something really hard is fine as long as you come out the other side, as long as you go up the hill at the other end. And anybody else that doesn't come out the other end with, you know, whatever they went into the tunnel to find, um, then, you know, they're just letting everybody down, you know, really bringing a downer to the to the party basically so having jennifer aniston not just talk about everything in such a fantastically matter-of-fact way um but also to be like do you know what it was such a bloody relief when i went through menopause and didn't have to think about this stuff Mm -hmm. anymore and didn't have that pull because actually that for me was one of the most hopeful things that i've read in ages the knowledge that you know however much I may continue to have incredibly mixed feelings about not having a family because, you know, for all, for all the sense that, um, you know, I'm coming to terms with not having children and that sort of thing. And I hasten to say, I should specify that having children is by no means the same as not having a family. Um, but, you know, still sort of feeling the loss of, of the children that I'm not going to know, but who lived in my head and in my heart for quite a long time. But then the ambiguity of that alongside it, uh, of, you know, but do I really want to have kids given that society really only wants people to be pregnant? And then once the baby's born, they don't want to really do anything to help after that, let alone when it becomes an adult. Um, So again, just reading Aniston, seeming to come from this place of such grace, such honesty, and such peace. I mean, whoever her therapist is, raw bloody yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely mega. And again, that was another fantastic talking point to people who had, you know, gone through failed fertility treatments, or who, um, or who haven't had kids, or who haven't, for whatever reason, been able to embark on on that kind of journey. Um, because I do think it's different from being child free, like choosing not to have kids. Yeah. I think. There's a you sort of bereavement the almost, right? sort of yeah. bere- it's, you know, it's sort of similar, I think it was it six or seven stages of bereavement. There's certainly some of those like, you know, anger and even sort of denial, things like that, you know, it, it is, or acceptance. Oh, absolutely. And I think, again, this pressure that we have on ourselves and again, these messages that we've taken in from yeah. society, again, because nobody talks about this stuff and it's, uh, but also that oh, you know, you just, you live through pain and you endure it and stiff up a lip because we love, you know, English people particularly, you know, we're supposed to have that stiff up, stiff up a lip and never talk about anything, which is obviously very mentally healthy, not. Um, but again, you're supposed to go through endless losses um, and then not mention it until, and again, inverted commas, you know, you have your, completed family and again after that don't forget that in our society a completed family has to be at least two children Mm -hmm. a boy and a girl Um, because my god the stuff that I hear from friends and from acquaintances going through secondary or or tertiary infertility so whereby you might have one child that are really struggling to conceive a second or or a third afterwards I mean 
something that always makes me laugh, particularly coming so soon after Christmas, is that, you know, if Mary and Joseph had Jesus today, like, all of the, like, nosy people would be like, so, <laughs> gonna have another. The son of God needs a brother. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, there are just so many boxes for us to fill in other people's expectations of us. And, you know, I'd love to say I'm totally free of other people's expectations for me, but you know, the last few years have really shaken me in lots of different ways uh, before we even get to talking about flipping, living through a global pandemic, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah. um, and so seeing Aniston, who's like about 15 years ahead of me, I think, maybe a little bit more, um, having got to that place of peace and being like, you know, that was really sad and it is sad and it is part of my life, but, you know, I have a great life. And that is awesome because, my God, I don't want to be, you know, fannying around into my 80s going, oh, sad all the time. I mean, I probably will because I'm a massive drama queen, <laughs> but I want it to be about, like, different things. Um, and so, again, I think a really big part of this for me has been doing a lot of research on healing and on grieving um, because all those, the Kubler-Ross steps of, of grieving, the whole denial, anger, bargaining, and that sort of thing, they've always been slightly misinterpreted. And again, something from other people speaking about grief, and I think Clover Stroud is a fantastic voice in this field, um, is that, you know, grief is not linear. Um, but at the same time, we do expect, well, not everybody perhaps, but I did. I, I was just like, but, you know, it's been three, maybe four years now. Why aren't I over it? And it's like, well, no, this has been something that you've expected to happen because of your conditioning as a girl growing up in the 80s, 90s, 2000s uh, in a time of real change for women and for women's roles in society. Um, but, you know, as much as everything has changed, there is still a real core um, that says that a woman's place is in the home raising kids. And if you're not doing mm. that, why are you even bothering? Oh, yeah. Oh, Honestly, so much of the stuff you've said really, really hitting home. It really is, actually. I'm not crying. It sounds like I'm crying, but I'm just like, <laughs> honestly, choke full of the cold. But you're you're so passionate about reading as well. I, I watched a video um a, a, a little eight and a half minute clip of you actually and so it's only right you have your own book and it also sounds um, like you know you really do want to help others with this and, and and what are you kind of hoping that people do get from from the book I'm hoping that they see themselves in one of the stories really I always say stories which sounds odd it sounds as though you know people are just writing nursery rhymes or something rather than their own experiences um, but they are stories because they're like little windows into somebody's life and, and also windows into who they are as people, because that is such a huge part of how we process things that we go through. Um, and so it was very important for me to make sure that this is an intersectional book in terms of, you know, gender, race, sex, class, all sorts of different things, because all of that informs not just how we go through life, but also how we are seen and how we are understood or not. And I certainly know that I get an awful lot of passes being a white middle class girl with the most ridiculous voice this side of Downton Abbey. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, some other people don't. Um, but also, I think it is just that thing of I want people to see this book specifically in bookshops 
uh, you know, I could have self-published, which would have been cool as well. But I think there are quite a lot of self-published books around infertility, around childlessness, around loss. And I wanted there to be something where, you know, people don't have to send off a stamped addressed envelope to, I don't know, a post office box or whatever to find something that they can identify with and that tells their story. Um, I basically just want this to be in plain sight and to be a really good looking, sexy ass book about something really fundamentally crap, but that is filled with all of the colours of people, the colours of the senses of humour that you have to develop in the face of unmitigating medical absurdity. Because, of course, the flip side of grief is joy, is laughter, is comedy, is... And and all of that is in this book. Um, and I hope that people can sort of pick it up without feeling like they need to pick it up in a pair of tweezers in case, you know, the misery is contagious. Because it's not, you know, it's not just misery. I mean, people are obviously very honest about how they felt and what they've been through. But it is also people who carry those wounds with them but they are not the wound. They are not the scar. They are not that experience. Yeah, that experience yes. is part of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. I think Kintsugi, the, the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery with gorgeous, gorgeous, like golden glaze and, and inks and stuff, has become almost like a publishing cliche over the last few years. But I think it's a cliche, you know, because it's got great reason for it. We want to put ourselves back together. Mm-hmm. And show the cracks as something beautiful. And beauty doesn't have to mean being saccharine or being people-pleasing or something like that. It just has to show, you know, I am who I am because of everything that has happened. Yeah, not just one defining moment that's going to consume you. Yeah, you can't let that. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I very much look forward to perhaps one day uh, writing a book that is not ironically about uh, infertility, and then I can go back to embracing all those all those sides of me. But for the time being, this is this is the book that needs to be out there, and I'm just so so thrilled uh, to have had the opportunity to work on this with Unbound. And yeah, I just can't wait to get it out there. Well, finally, how can people actually get their hands on this book? It'll be open for sort of standard pre-ordering, you know, the Amazons, the Waterstones, the Foils, probably later uh, later this year, probably around uh, summer, autumn. Um, in the meantime, if you'd like to have your name in the book as a supporter, you can pre-order it at unbound.com, uh, which is the publisher, and just search for No One Talks About This Stuff. And, um, and whilst you're there, you can either just flat out pre-order the book, or we've also got some really lovely reward tiers as well um everything from um putting the name of a child who you'd like to remember whether they were born or not um or uh ridiculous things like coming to a walk with me and sybil my dog and having a good old gossip along the way um but lots and lots of different things on there but yeah it'll be open for sort of your standard pre-ordering later in the year cat that is wonderful thank you so much for joining me Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Oh, that was so good. Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And honestly, I get talking my language. You really are just uh, a lot you were saying. And, and you, even the Jennifer Aniston stuff was really, really good. 
Um, oh my god, this is epic! Yeah. I, mean, I literally nearly fell off my chair when I saw that. I was like, "What the fuck? This is incredible!" Oh, I was Give so glad hell. for somebody like that. You know, like you say, in that the public eye, and you know, people look up to her and whatnot, and it's. It's just nice to see, yeah, because even one of my MD had said something quite similar, you know, if things don't go your way, it doesn't, defi- you know, there's more to life, there is more to life, you know, and it's, yeah. it's just but like... At the same time, I think something that I really need to work on um, with a therapist or something is actually that there is more to life, but also you need to process stuff properly. Yeah, yes. And not just sort of shove it down and, and replace it with... Oh, I can do something useful. Um, I've literally just started listening to a podcast episode about the con- about just doing nothing for a week, mm-hmm. um, which would be lovely, probably a bit impractical, but just the idea of doing literally nothing instead of always having to do something. Yeah, I'm a bit like um, that, trying um, to keep busy all the yeah. time. But I think you're right. I think there's some there is something in that. Just do nothing for a week, like you know. Like one of my friends yesterday, we were chatting away, and she lost her dad last year, and she's just kept herself busy. But she's just coming to a point where she's going to just combust. She's just not. She's not really sat down and stopped, and just you know, really like sort of faced what's actually happened. Yeah, you know? it's massive. Yeah, you can you can think that you're trying to be useful or something like that, mm. but it is all, there is also such an element of running away from what yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, and everybody, we all we all come back to it eventually and have to confront it and sit with it. But um, it doesn't mean that we're going to do it all in one go. No, 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 definitely not. Oh, listen, oh, Kat, it's been honestly an absolute pleasure. And uh, I can't wait to get the book. And I'm so yeah, glad my friend Angela so said... Much. No, no, no worries. Yeah, thank you so much to your pal for, yeah. for mentioning me as well. That's really awesome. Well, I'm glad that my friend put me in touch with Kat and I cannot wait to get my head buried into that book of hers. No one talks about this stuff. Thank you for listening today. And if you or you know someone who would love to share their story on my podcast or maybe they work in the world of fertility and would love to feature, then please do get them to drop me an email to yaz at qradio.com. Worth every shot. 